Hey, it is good to be back with you guys. I have missed standing in this place, but my goodness, what a great time, what a great job our other pastors have done in uh, opening the scriptures and sharing the word with you. But man, it sure is good to be back and seeing all of you here today. Open your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 3. That's where we're going to be today. John chapter 3. We are in the fourth week of Advent, and this is the love week, the love week. Say that with me, the love week. Oh, yeah. Hey, what are things that you love? Tell me. Me, thanks. Appreciate it. Good row. Good first row. What's that baby love? What? You, oh, you love your kids. Oh, yeah, thanks. I was confused by that one. You love all, all y'all love each other. Circle of love. What else? What do you love? Me? Still me. Oh, food. Oh, I thought you said you. Jesus, there we go. Good to learn. No, there's our good uh, pastor's kid answer. What else? What do you love over here? Nobody say anything. Nobody loves anything over here? Don't make me call you out by name. You love our church? Yep. What else? Your dogs? What about on this side? Your spouse, nice, solid. Vacation, come on. Family, yep. Music, that's a good one. Presents. Sleep, yep. I have my list. I love my family as well. They were first on the list. Jesus, of course, standard, given. I love all things Mississippi State, Hell State, come on. I love the USA, and I love chicken strips. Gas station chicken strips, yes. So here we are in Advent. Advent means the arrival of a notable person or event. And so obviously we know here in the church, we're talking about the Advent, the first Advent of Jesus. And so we celebrate that today, Jesus' birth. And today we anticipate his second Advent, the second coming of Jesus. Even back in the church's day, they were already looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. That's why some of, that's why some of the apostles wrote their letters to say, hey, let me tell you what you should prepare for as the Lord will be coming back at some point. They didn't know when he's coming back. We don't know when he's coming back. And just like the church then, it's our call as followers of Jesus to prepare ourselves, to be asking the Holy Spirit to continue to conform us into the image of Jesus. And we've talked about that for this entire month. Pastor Paul Dacus uh, preached on hope and the hope that we have in Jesus. Pastor Blake Arnold preached on peace and the peace that Jesus brings to us, the Holy Spirit when he indwells us. He actually brings peace into our lives. Uh, last week, Pastor Paul McDade uh, preached on joy and the joy that we have for being in Christ to know that we have moved from death to life and the joy that should bring. I just encourage all of you to tell your faces to uh, uh, celebrate in the joy that we have that is in Christ today. Let me see those joyful faces. Come on. Whew, tough crowd. All right, so uh, you're in John chapter 3. Actually, turn over to John chapter uh, uh, 14 really quick because I want to read a couple verses out of there uh, that will ramp it, and then we'll turn back to John chapter 3. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 1 
uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and they're concerned about him going away, and this is what he has to say to them. Chapter 14, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Man, Christian, let not your hearts be troubled today. Man, there's enough around us, enough that's going on that could trouble us at every turn. I'll repeat what Jesus had to say. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Jesus said, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for all you dudes. All the people that were following him, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He said, I'm telling you it's a real place. And I'm going to prepare it for you. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way by where I'm going. Verse 5, Thomas said, uh, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Verse 6, if you're an underliner, highlighter, you may already have it in your Bibles that way, but I encourage you to underline these. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I'm the way. I came because I am the way. I came to the world because you needed a way. There was no other way. And I came to make a way, and I am the way, is what Jesus told his followers then. If you hear nothing else I say today, hone in on those words from verse 3. And if I, go and pre- if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. In verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. All that flows, those assurances flow out of the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. That's where that flows from. That's not something that's made up. That's not a formula. All that that where he said, I'm the way and I'm preparing a place for you, flows out of the love that Jesus has for us. You probably know the most famous verse in the Bible. What's the most famous verse in the Bible? John 3, 16. What does it say? Well, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. This part of the New Testament, even in John, is a really a, an incredible synopsis on the need for Jesus and his first coming, his first advent. Like this, John chapter 3 really wraps it up. Why did Jesus come in the beginning? Why was it that he was here? We read about it here in chapter 3. The love that God had for men and women is the cause of for the first advent. And we say, where is John 3.16 in the context of it? That's where we're going to be in John chapter 3. We'll read the first 21 verses, so I hope you have your Bibles ready. Let's read that together. John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, okay? So he was part of the Jewish ruling party, the Jewish ruling group, and, and this, his name was Nicodemus. This man came to Jesus by night. He came by night because he didn't want anybody else finding and seeing him with Jesus. He didn't need any of his people giving him any trouble because he was going to see this guy named Jesus who they were really opposed to, who the entire uh, Sanhedrin and people like that were already trying to plot to kill. And so he came to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. 
And Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Underline that in your Bibles. Unless one is born again, he cannot, he will not. There is no way. There is no other way. There is no possible way. There is not any other possibility for it to actually happen unless he is born again. That holds today. It held then. It holds today. Holds for each of you. Unless one is born again, he cannot, he will not see the kingdom of God. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? You kidding? How can these things be? Jesus answered and said, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Say not condemned. Not condemned. All right, come on. Say it with me again. Not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light is coming to the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And so this is the story of Nicodemus. He was a religious leader. Uh, He called Jesus a good teacher. That's how he addressed him whenever he first started talking to him in the beginning. Uh, And and so in verse 3, Jesus uh, jumps right in and he says, well, we we talked about that in the beginning. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so, again, I hope you've highlighted that verse. And and so listen listen to what this means. Nicodemus was a religious man. But he was not born again at the time. So you can be religious and not be born again. You can have good church attendance and not be born again. You can live in a preacher's home and not be born again. You can live in your home, go to church with your parents, and not be born again. Nicodemus was impressed with Jesus but he was not born again. You might be impressed with Jesus. You might think, it's not bad teaching. It's pretty good moralistic stuff. He's probably got good stuff to say. 
I'll listen to it when it feels good, when it feels right, when I want to. You can be impressed with Jesus, but not be born again. To be born again means to make all things new. Like we move from death to life. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loves us, made us alive in Christ Jesus. And so to be born again is to make all things new again. If being born again, if being, if being born is this important, how many of you have been born? Raise your hand. Participate, people. I'm looking at you that aren't raising your hand. I'll wait. How many of you have been, thank you. I see that hand. How many of you have been born? Thank you for participating. How many of you have been born? Back row. How many of you, thank you. I see that hand. Okay, we've established that all of us have been born at some point. But what, what Jesus was telling Nicodemus is you must be born again. See the kingdom of God. So you've made the first step. All of you have made the first step. You've been born. You're hearing this. You're seeing this. You're here. You've been born. But the second is the most important. This is why God sent Jesus to the, on the first advent. The love that God has for you is incredible. I mean, it's unbelievable to know that the love that God has for you, that he would send his son to redeem you, the only way that it actually could happen to satisfy a holy and a righteous God, he sent his son into the world to redeem sinners like you and me. He would send his son on the first advent, the first coming, that he would slay his son after the first advent, the reason for the first advent that he would give his son to die. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Because of this great love for you. How do you know that's what God was thinking, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. That's to the right in your Bible. I remember those days. Turn to the right. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, this is what Paul wrote uh, to the church. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He said, that's where all of you were, all of you, Church, all the people in the church at Ephesus, this is where you all were. And this is where all of you were as well, Refuge, and maybe some of you still are. And then, and then we get to the cool part, verse 4. I hope you've, if you've been a Refuge a long time, you've probably circled this or highlighted this. And if you haven't, do it now. But God, two words, circle it, highlight it. But God, being rich in mercy because of the grace in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us to alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So by the great love in which God loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, God made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Because of the first advent, this is possible. Because Jesus came, this is possible. 
This is the, the genesis or the beginnings of what it means to be born again. Now back, back to our text in John 3. Nicodemus was confused about this kind of love. He, he, he had no clue about what Jesus was talking about. I want you to think about this, church. Listen. You, many of you sat under preaching and teaching for the vast majority of your life. Even, or maybe this is your first church service, but you're getting this thing explained to you. Think about being Nicodemus. Even though he's talking to Jesus, he's hearing that for the first time. He didn't get to hear it over. He didn't go, go back and read it in print over and over again. He's hearing this for the first time. And, and Nicodemus was confused about this kind of love. He was confused about what Jesus was saying, and maybe some of you are as well. Maybe you're confused about what this means. And so I need to help you understand that this message that Jesus was talking about, or that Jesus was talking about, is not some type of religious experience. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about religious experiences for you. You might have had some of those in the past, but religious experiences are just that. Experiences come and go. My son Drew and his roommates, there's one. Where's the other one? There he is over there. Um, they are, go to MTSU, and so they're uh, in the middle of trying to find a church. They visited some churches up in Murfreesboro, and so I uh, – I was up one weekend. Carol and I were up one weekend and went to church with Drew. And so, um, uh, and I was not a fan of some of that church's theology that he was going to. It was a really cool experience. Uh, the, the music was fantastic. Uh, and I wasn't a really a big fan of their uh, theology at the time. And so uh, Drew and I talked about it. And he was like, why do you not like it, Dad? And so we talked through some theological things. And actually, he was like, okay, I see what you're talking about. So he started looking for a different church. And so they looked for some different churches. I know Drew had found, he had found one that he was going to three or four times. And so he texted me the other day. So imagine dad, and he gets this text from his son. Dad, I've got some bad news. And that was it. He didn't give any context. <laughs> Nothing. It's about church. Nope. It's about this place. Nope. About some people don't preach the gospel. Nope. Dad, I've got some bad news. So the mind's running, you know, and so dad trying to play it calm goes, what's up? And so he explained the situation uh, about this church that he had been attending, and, and he and I uh, talked about it, and he agreed. He already knew, and, and he said, man, I'm going to have to find another church. It's just been hard to find a church there, right? It's been hard to find a church that preaches the gospel consistently, and so uh, uh, I just want you to know Sometimes, some of the things that they were attending were about religious experiences. That's what they were. And they were good, right? They were good. The religious experiences were good. Would you agree? Uh, but they were not preaching the gospel. I hope that they'll continue to discern what it looks like to find a church family in there. And I'm just going to tell you this. Neither are your religious experiences. Maybe because you've been to church before and you got caught up in the music, you know, and bands and lights and the whole nine yards. And you're like, man, I love this church because of the, unks, 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 you know, that thing. And, and uh, maybe that's why you continue to go. You're like, man, I love the beat here and all this kind of stuff. We're not looking for religious experiences. We're looking to hear from the Holy Spirit. 
We're looking for the gospel to be preached. When the gospel gets proclaimed, then that's how the Spirit uses the words that are proclaimed to change people's hearts, to open people's hearts to the good news of the gospel. And so just like Jesus told Nicodemus, um, I'm saying the same to you today. It is absolutely necessary that you be born again. And what, no matter what any preacher says to you, Jesus says you must be born again. And so Nicodemus asks in verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And so I've said that before as I'm reading this. I have people's voices in my heads whenever I'm reading things. I don't know if you all do that or not. But I have Nicodemus's what I think is his voice in my head saying this. And so I don't know if he's saying it sarcastically. Like, how can somebody enter in somebody's womb? Or he's like, he's really confused. I mean, how can that happen? I don't understand. I mean, it seems impossible. It seems improbable that that could ever happen. And it seems really incongruent with reality. Like, I don't know what you're saying here, but this doesn't seem like that could actually happen. And some of you may have that same difficulty today, believing what it means to become a follower of Jesus, that you have to be born again. And so you may have those same questions like, I don't know what it means to be born again. I don't understand this language that you're using, preacher, or that Jesus was using, preacher. I don't understand all these things. It seems impossible, improbable, and incongruent with reality. And so he's saying, hey, you must be born. And we've already established that everyone in this room has been what? Born. You all raised your hands somewhat reluctantly. Um, and, and so Jesus said, you must be born again to know God and inherit eternal life. And only you can know that. Only you can know that. Only you can know if you've been born again. You can go through some religious experiences. You can give a wink and a nod to God at religious holidays. You can show up and throw a few dollars in the plate every now and then and think that your religious experience has you. But only you can know if you've been born again. Consistently being conformed to the image of Jesus. What would your spouse say about that? Could they see Jesus being reflected in you? What would your children say about that? Can they see the fact that Jesus is reflected in you, that you're becoming more and more like Jesus? You're being conformed into the image of Jesus? What would your friends say about you? Would they say that you're being more and more conformed into the image of Jesus? And so Jesus begins to explain this spiritual fact of being born again to Nicodemus, and I hope it is helpful for you today. Look at verse 5. This is what he says in 5. Jesus answered and said, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of god he says so you must be born of water and you must one and you must be born of spirit two and so you must be born of water what's he referring to birth not baptism don't confuse that baptism don't save nobody okay i don't know what uh, what uh Religious upbringing you might have been into, but baptism doesn't save anybody. Water doesn't save anybody. Who saves people? Say it. Jesus saves people. 
And so he says, you must be born again, and, and you must be born again, or you cannot, say cannot, cannot enter the kingdom of God. Then he goes on to verse 6. Look what he says in verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. So he's explaining this. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. You must be born, okay? And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So he's explaining what he just said there. Flesh, if you're born of the flesh, you are just flesh. And you're dead spiritually. But if you're born of the Spirit, you are made alive, and that's your second birth. So he was explaining that there. And then look what he says in verse 7. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. And so I'm going to echo Jesus when I say, do not marvel that I say, or I'm reading what Jesus says, that you must be born again. Turn to your neighbor and say, you must be born again. Now turn to your other neighbor and say, you must be born again. Now do that again. Listen. Now do that again and say it with some brevity that it holds. Whoever you turn to first, say it to them. Turn to your other neighbor. Say it again. It's true. Jesus gives a picture of being born again in verse 8. Look what he says. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. He was saying to Nicodemus and and saying it for our benefit today, we don't know where the wind comes from, right? I mean, it it just happens. Wind starts blowing. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where the wind is going. Uh, The meteorologists most of the time don't even know. You may hear its sound. You may feel the force of wind. You may feel its effects, but you don't know any of those things about. You would have no idea why that wind is blowing across your face or against your home or making the trees blow in your yard. You don't know those things. You don't have any idea where it came from or where it is going. Yet you trust the wind. You believe that wind is true. You can't even see wind. You can only see the effects of wind. You believe that the wind does what the wind does. And Jesus says in verse 8, you trust the wind at work, and so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You cannot see it, but it is real and it is true. We don't make the wind do anything. Okay? Speaking of wind. That's a good cue. Thank you, Lord. That was a good one. We don't make the wind do anything. It does what it does, how it does, where it does, and when it wants to do whatever it does. It's obviously being controlled by the Lord, but we seeing it, we don't make the wind do anything. And Jesus is saying, so it is with people who are born again. You confused yet about the wind and how it blows? Well, Nicodemus was confused. And so he goes on in verse 9, he says this. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And so Jesus explains it to him. Look what he says. We'll read it again. Jesus said, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things, and you do not believe them, because Jesus had done that, and they didn't believe what he had to say, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Some of you are the same way. Some of you are just skeptics in general. 
You have a negative view about everything. You push back on everybody. You have to, you have to argue with someone at every turn, and you're a skeptic. And it's hard for skeptics to believe the gospel. And so I need you skeptics specifically to listen to this today because Jesus was talking and explaining this very thing. He said, if I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he, was, he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He was talking about himself. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so he says, we speak of what we know, we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive of our testimony. Uh, you do not receive our testimony. I'll ask you these questions. Do you speak of spiritual things? Do you ever talk about spiritual things? Ever have any conversations about spiritual things? We speak about what we know. Do you know spiritual things? Are you finding ways to know more spiritual things so you can have those conversations in your home? I love it when we get that chance to do it. I've talked to many of you that say, I love it when I get to have spiritual conversations with my kids. I'm not sitting down. I'm not talking about our spiritual conversations don't happen where we sit down and drill our kids. They happen late at night many times. I just want to come in and talk. We get a chance to talk about what the Lord is doing. I hope you do that same thing in your own home. If you, if you don't know how, ask us. We'll help you. Jesus then goes on to say, I tell you earthly things, and you don't believe them. How will you believe spiritual things? Jesus said, only I have descended uh, to heaven and descended from heaven. And Jesus said, I will be lifted up, just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. And then he says, and whoever believes, which means repents and believes in me, will have eternal life. Say this with me. Repent, repent, and believe. Say that. Repent and believe. One more time. And it's as enthusiastic as this side of the room. Repent and believe. That's what it means. Jesus was saying, we are calling you, he, I'm calling you to repentance, which means asking for forgiveness, confessing your sins before a holy and righteous God, saying, I realize that I have sinned against you, and to believe the gospel, the good news that Jesus has come and lived the life you cannot live, died the death that you all deserve, all of us deserve to die, and was raised from the dead three days later, overcoming death and hell and the grave for our benefit. That's the good news of the gospel. This text, Jesus was alluding to the love that God had for his people in Numbers 21. The Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. They were grumbling. If you, if you remember anything about that Old Testament story, they were, they, they were unhappy that they were actually having to be in the wilderness, that they were grumbling about what they had to eat and where they had to go. And, and then in Numbers 21, 6, the, the, Lord said, uh, the Bible says this, Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so many people of Israel died. Because they were grumbling. The people cried out to Moses for help. They were like, get us away from these snakes. Get us away from these serpents. They're biting us. And my cousin's dying. <laughs> and so uh, in, in that text, in Numbers chapter 21, the Lord told Moses to make a serpent of bronze. He said, I want you to make this out of bronze. And I want you to put it on this pole. And I want you to lift up this thing on this pole, and he said, as, as, um, uh, as anyone who looks on this serpent will be healed. Y'all remember that story? 
if you look at the serpent, then you will be healed. And so he said, I want you to make this, hold it up, and anybody who looks at it will be healed. And so Moses lifted up the serpent, and all had faith that that would, ha- would happen, actually were healed. The story tells us when they had faith and believed that that's what it would mean to be healed from the serpent bite, that's exactly what was happening. They were saved from death. And this is the story that Jesus was alluding to in John chapter 3. It was from Numbers chapter 21. And all who look upon him, him who is lifted up, him who is lifted up on a cross, that would believe the fact that he died in our place, that he died as a substitutionary atonement, a payment for our sins, will be saved. It's the Old Testament picture of the coming deliverer who would come. If you know anything about your scriptures, the Old Testament was always pointing forward to a deliverer who would come. And this story about the serpent being lifted up in the, in the wilderness, this golden serpent. And God said, if you look on him, you'll be healed. He's saying the same thing. There will become one that is greater. When you look upon him, when you repent and believe, you will be healed, which means you will be saved. You will be rescued from your de- impending death. That's the picture he was painting. Jesus then goes on to talk about how much God loved the people, not only in times of old, but how much he loves it now. Verse John 3, 16, this is the money verse. Let's read that together. For God so loved the world. Hang on, are y'all reading? Read it like you believe it. Read it, we'll start over. For you people who are not reading aloud, let's start together. One, two, three, go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I'll go on and read 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Hey, if you think Christianity is about condemnation, it's not. Christianity is not about condemnation. The fact that you were born means that you were born into sin and you are condemned already. It's what the Bible says to us. The reason that Jesus came was not to condemn you because we're condemned already. But he says this right here, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And 18 says this, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Just by the fact that you were born, you're condemned already. Outside of Jesus, the Bible says you're condemned already. Jesus says this, I'm your remedy. I'm your remedy for your sin. Jesus says, I am your rescue from the penalty of sin. The penalty for sin is death. And Jesus says, I am your rescue. He says, I am your hope for, from the wrath of God. Because the wrath of God is coming on all of those who do not believe. Jesus says, I am your hope from that. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. But he invites you to come. He sent me here to tell you that there is hope. There is hope for the, for, for the coming condemnation for those who are outside of Christ Jesus. And that is to repent of your sins, believe the gospel, and trust in Jesus' finished work on your behalf. His sinless life in your place. His death, and so you don't have to die at the hands of the wrath of God. His resurrection over death and hell so that you can know that there is eternal life. There's life for you. Or if you choose not to, Jesus is also saying, I am your condemnation. I am your judge. And I'm opposed to you 
because uh, you're condemned already. He goes on and explains this judgment in verse 19. He said, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. People love darkness rather than light. If you reject Jesus, you love the darkness rather than the light. If you don't want to know Jesus, you reject, you love the darkness rather than the light. If you refuse to believe Jesus, you love the darkness rather than the light. Now, I know how this works. Some of you are mentally arguing with me right now. I know how it goes. I've been in your seat, done the same thing. You don't know me, preacher. Who does that preacher think he is? It's Christmas. This is so narrow-minded, preacher. I just want to tell you, do not mistake God's love and patience with you for the false belief that he accepts or he tolerates your ongoing sin and rejection of him. God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, patient with you so that you might come to him. Jesus said, right now, some of you love the darkness rather than the light. Even though the love of God in Jesus, the offer for your rescue from all that condemnation is free. It's a free gift offered to you. You don't have to pay for it. Jesus has already paid it all. Jesus paid it all. He goes on. Verse 20. For everyone who, does wicked, who, everyone who does wicked things hates, circle hates, hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Jesus would later say this in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And what Jesus says there is for you. Whoever will come and whoever will follow I, Jesus said, I love you so much that I'm willing for you to come to me. I'm willing to be that sacrifice that you need. Listen to this. You don't need to make over to be loved by God. Okay? Uh, this preacher is not asking you to clean your act up. I didn't clean my act up before I came to know the Lord. Jesus is continuing now to conform me into the image of his son into his image. God will do the same thing for you. I'm not asking you to clean yourself up. You don't need to get yourself right. Well, preacher, one of these days, I'll get myself right, and then I'll come to God. No, you don't, I'm just saying you don't have to get yourself right. Jesus makes us right. Preacher, I'm going to clean myself up before I come to, come to know the Lord. No, God requires perfection. You ain't ever going to make it there. But Jesus was perfect in your place. And he says, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden. I'll give you rest from that rat race you're in. I'll give you rest. No more running. No more wrestling. No more fighting. Today, come as you are. Repent of your sins. Confess your sins. Believe the good news that Jesus rescues sinners like me and you. For those of us who are already in Christ Jesus, Preacher, you got any good news for us today? I do. 
In John 15, Jesus says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus said, as the Father, he says, I and the Father are one. And so as God the Father loves Jesus, God the Son, as he, the Father loves me, so I love you. He loves you. Christian, he loves you. He loves you today. That's good news. That God loves us. John 18, Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, which we like that part, right? We love the fact God loves us. He says, Just as I have loved you, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for what? One another. He said, Hey, my kiddos, don't be a stumbling block to other people. Just like I've loved you, all of you people love one another. Then he says this. Or he didn't say this. I say this. The celebration of Advent, the first coming of Jesus, was about love. The love of God in Jesus for you. Yes, you. The love of God in Jesus for you. For God so loved you that he gave his only son. That whosoever, that's you, if you will believe in him, you will not perish. But you will have eternal life. For God did not come into the world to condemn you. But so that you might be saved through him. This message of God's love in Jesus is for all of your ears, for all of our ears, for all of us to hear. Let me say this, and with this I'm going to close. You're not too lost for God to find. You're not too lost for God to find. You're not too dirty for God to clean. You're not too broken for God to fix. You're not too hurt for God to heal. You're not too far for God to reach. You're not too guilty for God to forgive. And you're not too sinful for God to save. One pastor wrote this this week. Your enemy, the devil, knows your name, yet he calls you by your sin. Some of you are probably thinking about that right now. You're thinking about it, but preacher, I'm this. Preacher, I'm this. You don't know, but I'm this. This is who I am. This is, this is my sin, and this is how people identify me, and this is how people know me, and this is how I even think about myself. You have an enemy that is identifying you by your sin. God knows your sin, but calls you by your name today to repent and believe the gospel. There really is coming a second advent, a second appearing the second coming of Jesus. And the love that we've talked about today is so on that second advent, that second coming of Jesus, you will be found in him. And you can be clothed in the righteousness of God in Jesus when that day comes. Advent, hope has a name. Peace has a name. Joy has a name. Love has a name. 
His name is Jesus. Let's pray.